The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So I thought I would reintroduce myself for those of you that might not know me. My name is Erica Graham, and I've been guest preaching at Ecclesia for, I think, three or four years. Um, it's such an honor to be here at Elder today, if it's your first time with me. Hello. Um, If you've been coming and joining us in this series right now, you know we are in the middle of a series covering the body. And we started off talking about how the body is made in the image of God, in good. We had a sermon on uh, trauma and disability. We had a sermon on sexuality. And last week, we talked about the mind as it relates to the body. And today, um, the topic I was given to summarize this series before we go into Lent is the body of Christ. And I love this topic for a number of reasons. Um, One, I think about the body of of Christ quite literally, like the actual body, a body that was fully human and fully God a body that is historical and living, a a body that died and resurrected, is in the past, but somehow present in the Eucharist and in our church communities today. It's this paradox of Jesus being both dead and alive that I find fascinating. In fact, my grandpa, who was a pastor, he had this um, statue of Jesus. It was like an inverted silhouette. And it was one of those statues where no matter where you went, he was always looking at you. (laughs) And I remember as a child being in my grandfather's living room and running back and forth with my brother and laughing and looking back and thinking, Jesus is still looking at us. And we ran to the other side. And I feel like that's kind of how Christ works. We don't understand it, but he's somehow always in us and for us. Writer and pastor Martha Spong, she wrote, he is neither visible nor invisible, and he is both. In him, all things hold together. I love that last line, in him, all things hold together. I recently looked up the definition for the word religion. And the word religion comes from the Latin word religar. And religar means to bind. Another way scholars describe the the Latin roots of the word religion is to religament. And I thought, what a perfect metaphor for our body series as we imagine the body of Christ to think of religion as a re-ligament. Because we know that ligaments within a body hold together. They bind. Just as Martha said, all things hold together through a re-ligament. And if you're like me, the word religion hasn't always been a positive thing. You think about places it's failed. In fact, in college, I remember telling people I'm spiritual, but not religious. 
I didn't understand that religions were not just institutions, institutions that fall short and fail and can become toxic. Religion was actually a call to reconnect when it's done well. I've had lots of people, some of you might be here today, come up to me after I've preached and you tell me about a family member that stopped going to church, sometimes in another state. I've I've heard, Erica, can you pray for my daughter? She lives in Montana. She's not going to church. Or can you pray for my son? He's in New York. He stopped going to church. And while I do take those prayers seriously, I also can't help but to wonder if they have a really good reason that they stopped going to church. Religion, when done well, it connects. It re-ligaments the body of Christ. And it's not always done well. It's not always living true to its Latin roots. I can't talk about the body of Christ without bringing up 1 Corinthians 12. And it's a passage I've often used with younger people when I've been asked to speak to younger audiences. It's an iconic passage, one of my favorites. And in 12.12, it starts off, Just as a body is one whole, made up of many different parts, all the different parts comprise the one body. So it is with the anointed one. We were all ceremonially washed through baptism together into one body by one spirit. No matter our heritage, Jew or Greek, insider or outsider, no matter our status, oppressed or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Here's what I mean. The body is not made up of one large part, but of many different parts. Would it seem right for the foot to cry, I am not a hand, so I can't be part of the body? Even if it did, it wouldn't be any less joined to the body. And what about an ear? If an ear started to whine, I am not an eye, I shouldn't be attached to the body. In all its pouting, it is still part of the body. Imagine the entire body as an eye. This is one of my favorite lines in scripture. Imagine the entire body as one giant eyeball. How would a giant eyeball be able to hear? And if the entire body were an ear, another great line, how would an ear be able to smell? This is where God comes in. God has meticulously put, body, put this body together. He placed, he placed each part in the exact place to perform the exact function he wanted. It's a beautiful passage, a wonderful metaphor of what it looks like when we all bring our distinct and unique gifts together to form, to re-ligament a body of Christ in our community and in the world. I've come up with three things that I think um, the body of Christ ought to do if it is going to be a healthy body. And I don't use the word healthy in an ableist way. Rather, I define health as a body that reconnects and bonds together instead of dividing apart. The first thing that I believe the body of Christ ought to do if if it's to be a healthy body is that it celebrates gifts 
without getting stuck in comparison. Now, I purposely included the word stuck because we are human beings and we compare. It's part of what we do. But oftentimes, if you're like me, you get stuck in comparison. And I'm not sure that's helpful according to the passage in Corinthians that we just read. When I was in college, I remember one of my roommates comparing herself to another one of our friends. And she said, I'm just, I'm just jealous of her. She's pretty, she's smart, everyone likes her. It is, I compare myself to her. And I remember I said, and this will show my millennial age, I said, hey, what do you think about Justin Timberlake? And she said, um, he's amazing. I love NSYNC. <laughs> and then I said, what do you think about Denzel Washington? She's like, I mean, he's the best. I was like, you just said Justin Timberlake was the best. Now, you can feel the ridiculousness of comparing Justin Timberlake to Denzel. But we do that all the time. And I think God is just like, this is ridiculous. You're an eye and you're an ear. What are you doing? We need both. I worry about young adults and TikTok and Instagram and filters that I've used. <laughs> it's common to worry about kids these days. But I worry about adults these days. I worry about myself these days. I was recently in a wedding in Los Angeles, and uh, the entire bridal party got their hair and makeup done. And I was really excited. I actually did my own hair and makeup for my own wedding. So I had like a vision board ready for the stylist and the makeup artist. And I showed her a picture of Haley Bieber in a low bun, center part, super sleek. Make it look like I'm not trying, but spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> and when the hairstylist finished, I looked in the mirror, and I thought, I look a little bit more like George Washington than Haley Bieber. And it was fine. It was like a low bun with a lot of big curls. See, I like to pretend like I'm an enlightened pastor, that like, oh, kids shouldn't compare themselves. And yet I'm trying to look like Justin Bieber's wife <laughs> on a given Friday wedding. The Houston Texans long snappers, John Weeks. You may or may not have known that. It's a position, um, I actually don't know that much about football, but I do know this, the long snapper, that's their job. <laughs> and John Weeks is good at it. In fact, he played 200 games in a row consecutively, never missing one. Such an important role on that team, but it often gets overlooked. I think of the pandemic, all the essential workers that are constantly overlooked. They're literally making the community go round and round, but we don't see them. 
The body of Christ places great importance in functions that often we can't see. And so often we compare our weaknesses to the strengths of others. I am what you would call a messy person. I really try. I get an A plus for trying. I'll have like a week and a half where um, I'm putting things away and on top of the laundry and my car, you can see the ground. And then it never really lasts. And I was telling my friend Fahad, we get into these deep philosophical conversations whenever we talk, when we're not texting each other Taylor Swift lyrics. But the other time, we're getting into deep conversations. And um, he once pointed out to me that when I talk about being messy, I act like it's a moral failure, like it makes me gross, or like I should have shame about it. And the truth is, I do have shame about being messy. If a neighbor rings the doorbell and our house has things everywhere, I get really embarrassed. Or if someone comes over unannounced and they see my kitchen sink with yesterday's pasta dishes, I think, what in the world is wrong with me? And Fahad told me something. He said, Erica, you act like it's a moral failure to be messy when really it would just help your life to be more organized. And I was like, Fahad, you're so right. It would help my life. I'm gonna go clean my closet. And I kid you not, right now, you can see the entire floor in my closet. And there's something about relieving that shame that inspires us to change. There's actually a whole TED talk on removing the morality from um, messiness by Casey Davis. But my point is that we don't have to take our worst attributes and compare them to other people's best. I do that with my messy house, and maybe you do that in other areas of your life. The second thing that I think the body of Christ ought to do if it's to be a thriving body is it's a body that makes room for others. I remember when I was pregnant, my body quite literally made room for another. And I think the body of Christ is called to constantly be expanding, making room for the other, especially if we call them something like the other. Paul reminds, of this, reminds us of this time and time again as he imagines Christianity to be a religion or to be a movement that is inclusive. In Galatians, it reads, here's the thing, in Jesus the anointed, whether you are circumcised or not makes no difference. What makes a difference is faith energized by love. So Paul's saying, I don't care what rules you're following, that's great. He's, this is, an anti-Semitic version of this would be condemning circumcision. That's not what Paul does. He's saying, that's not as important to me. What matters, what makes a difference is that you have the kind of faith that is energized by love. And a faith that's not energized by love is probably not gonna make up rules to exclude. The body of Christ 
when participated in responsibly, is going to include others. Lastly, I think the body of Christ practices a kind of love that is beyond our understanding. Now, there's a role for understanding things. In fact, we should be curious and seek to understand. Sean's sermon about that last week was brilliant, using the mind to understand. Oftentimes in faith communities, we're told not to use our minds, which is the opposite of what is true. And that's what we were made to understand. And one thing that I'm not sure we can understand but we can only feel and believe and imagine it to be true, is the love of Christ. Resurrection is not logical. Love is not logical. We use metaphors to try to describe it, but we can only do that. It's something we feel not really in our heads, but in our hearts. You know, 96% of the universe is dark matter and dark energy. Do we have any astrophysicists with us today? No, no NASA peeps? We got one. Well, you, would, you can um, back, fact check me, please. Um, we know next to nothing about dark matter and dark energy. Is that true? So you're telling me 96% of the universe we know nothing about. That leaves us with the material reality of 4%. And yet we expect we should comprehend everything, including the love of Christ in resurrection and death. It's not possible. We don't have the posture of humility if we truly believe that we should understand all things. And my same Fred Fahad, I do have more than one Fred, but we talk a lot. He says what really bothers him about conversations about empathy are that their end goal is always understanding. Like if you are to be an empathetic person, you understand others. And he said that is not unconditional love. You're placing understanding as a condition. You should be able to have empathy and love others without understanding them. And I think that's true about the body of Christ, that we can love others without understanding them. I bet there are people in your life that it bothers you that you cannot, you, you don't get them. You do not understand them, why they say what they say and do what they do. And the good news today is that you don't have to understand them. You can love them anyway, despite the misunderstanding. In fact, we only get snapshots of people's lives, so to think that we would understand the whole picture is egotistical to begin with. We can love without understanding. And I would say that there's actually, my friend Albert reminds me of this, I didn't say Fahad that time. My friend Albert, he says, there's no such thing as unconditional love. That would just be love. If there was a condition, it would be control. Unconditional love is just love. And I think that's true. Christ doesn't love us with a bunch of conditions. He loves us 
entrusts us to believe and participate in our humanity fully, and that means falling short and not getting it right and being a messy human being. Andy Kolber says about love, she says, may we work from love, not for it. Is it Enneagram 3? This one is hard for me. I like to work for love. I want to be adored. But I have to ask myself, why am I actually doing this? Is it to be loved or is it out of love? And there is a difference. Teek not Han as a metaphor for love. It's one of my favorites. It's not perfect. Most metaphors aren't perfect, but it's a good metaphor. And um, I could read it, but I'm going to summarize it for you. Uh, He basically says, if somebody's standing with a cup of coffee and you shove them, what's going to spill out? Coffee, right? Don't think too hard. I know there's a a rocket scientist here. It's intimidating. (laughs) Coffee's going to spill out. If you're holding green tea and somebody shoves you, what's going to spill out? Green tea. If you're full of love and somebody shoves you, love's going to spill out. If you're full of resentment and life doesn't go well and you get kicked around, resentment's going to spill out. And I love that metaphor. I think it's really good. In fact, as I was practicing this sermon, um, my toddler was screaming at my office door and the rule, the deal, I should say, was my husband was going to take him out of the house for a half an hour. And so I opened the door and I was like, can you figure this situation out? I'm trying to preach on love spilling out. (laughs) And so I'm not there, but I like the idea of it. And I also want you to know that sometimes I think as Christians, love can be our second impulse. I can apologize. I can do better on a second time around. You know, in, I go to group therapy for OCD, and this is true for OCD. I cannot control intrusive thoughts that I have. But when I'm in recovery and doing my work in meetings, I can control, usually, my second impulse. So I don't have to listen to that intrusive thought when I'm practicing a recovered response. And the same is true for Christianity. I think whatever spews out of your cup first might not be good, but our second impulse can be one of love because that we can control much more readily. I believe it's possible, Ecclesia, that when the body of Christ gets shoved from behind, that the first thing that could spill out as a community is love. And I think if it's a healthy body, and again, I mean health as a connected and re-ligamented body. If it's a body that is performing religion well, I believe it's a body that has no choice but to spill out love everywhere it goes. The last line in this Corinthians passage is 1 Corinthians 31. And it says, pursue the greater gifts And let me tell you of a more excellent way, love. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.